now, the Blaze Radio Network presents 40 Acres and a Fool. Here's your host, Cam Edwards. Greetings from the near frontier, and thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I'm your host, Cam Edwards. Hope that you are having a fantastic week. On the uh, program, we'll talk about farm distilleries. We'll uh, learn about a uh, high-powered corporate executive from Washington State who's given it all up to return to the farm and uh, what they're doing to incubate uh, small farms in, of all places, uh, California, where they also seem to be uh, declaring war on the... uh, small and big farmers with the uh, California drought involved. I hope that you've been having a fantastic week. It has been a good one uh, on the farm, although very busy. I think I might have mentioned on the last uh, episode that uh, our riding lawnmower crapped out and we were supposed to have it picked up and repaired. And yeah, I guess they didn't show up. They simply did not show up. They called, they said they would be there, and then they were not there. So we are still without a uh, a very important lawn maintenance tool on the uh, 40 acres, which means that uh, we've been going out with the push mowers and uh, trying to keep the grass down as much as possible. We've also been moving the goats and uh, Lola the lamb, who I think is actually now officially Lola the sheep. I think she's old enough. Uh, they've been helping keep the grass down. Uh, thankfully, we can always move the bacon seeds around to some fresh grass. That's that's great, but the, that doesn't help with the uh, the front yard and the uh, big open area that my son likes to play soccer in. So, uh, yeah, it's been uh, a lot of work just keeping up with the, uh, the the farm over the past week or so. Uh, not that I mind. Actually, it's, it's good to be able to get out. And I was uh, on Saturday, my uh, son, who just turned 15, uh, he and I were, were working all day. And I'm tired and I'm sweaty and it's hot. But I noticed that he wouldn't take a break until I took a break. And so that kind of spurred me to work a little bit harder than uh, perhaps I wanted to and to to keep going without a break because I wanted him to work hard and to push himself. And it was the coolest thing. You know, kids get to a certain age and they don't necessarily tell you everything. But my son told Miss E., uh, how proud he was of of the work that he did. He said, you know, I, I didn't, he said, I was, dad told me that I could take a break, but he wasn't taking a break. And so if he wasn't taking a break, I, I didn't want to take a break. So I kept working. I love hearing that. I love hearing my kids uh, acknowledge that, that there is something to a work ethic and that working hard, you can be proud of yourself Afterwards, it doesn't matter, by the way, if that working hard is pushing a lawnmower, making a cup of coffee, waiting tables, saving a child, performing brain surgery. It doesn't matter. It's the hard work that matters. You know, when you're 15, you're probably not going to have the opportunity to uh, uh, do brain surgery on on someone unless you're Doogie Hauser. But you can push a lawnmower. You can uh, work a shift at a fast food restaurant and put in, you know, eight hours of of hard work, uh, maybe even longer. Uh, at that uh, fast food restaurant, and you can you can feel that reward because uh, it comes from inside. It is it's 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 that sense of satisfaction uh, from a job well done. And hey, look look at what I did. Look at what I could do. I didn't realize that I could work this hard. So I was uh, I was pleased that my uh, that my son actually got it uh, this weekend. 
Not that he doesn't. He's a good kid. Uh, don't get me wrong. As a matter of fact, uh, he helped me load up the pickup truck yesterday for my least favorite chore, uh, going to the dump. This is, yep, you know, when you live out in the uh, in the country, one of the things that you give up, well, I think we've talked about this before, probably the biggest thing you give up, uh, high-speed internet. <laughs> That's no joke. The uh, The satellite internet thing is just, oh, oh, it's awful. But supposedly... I keep hearing it's getting better. But the other thing that you give up, one of the other things that you give up, is trash service, right? You don't have the sanitation engineers rolling up uh, to your driveway on Tuesday and Friday morning and taking your trash away, and you never have to see it again. That that Nope. When you live in the country, you are the sanitation engineer. And this has uh, been my chore and my job uh, ever since we moved. So once a week... Uh, we load up the uh, back of the truck uh, with whatever accumulated boxes, animal feed sacks, uh, a, a couple of bags of trash, and uh, and then we take it to the dump. And, it, it, you know, here's the thing. I don't mind going to the dump. I really don't. It's maybe a 30-minute chore driving there and back. I mean, actually emptying the truck out is, you know, two or three minutes. Unless, of course, we have recycling. So it's, I don't mind going to the dump. And there are times, actually, when I like going to the dump. Um, when we have to uh, recycle our glass bottles, I like going to the dump. Because you get to throw glass bottles. <laughs> and <laughs> That's fun. It's, it's, it's authorized destruction. Uh, so we go to the dump, and there's a big... And I need your help with this, because I'm not really sure I understand the concept here. There's a big open bin, right, that, that uh, the recycling goes into, the glass recycling goes into. And they there are signs up telling you to separate the glass. So the clear bottles get chucked into one end. The green bottles get chucked into the middle. The brown bottles get chucked uh, into the other end of this one big container. And I can't figure out why are we separating the different colors of glass into three piles in one big container that's going to get picked up, turned over, dumped out, and they're all going to get mixed up again. So I'm I'm hopeful that maybe somebody who has been doing this longer than I have, maybe somebody, uh, who knows, somebody in the recycling industry, can explain to me, is this busy work that we're supposed to be doing at the dump by separating our glass bottles out, throwing them into different sections of the same big container, or is there a, a an actual reason to do this because I, I just assume that when this gets picked up, it all gets mixed up again. And then, uh, I'm not really sure why we're actually separating out our different colors. I, uh, I, I've been, I've been wondering about this, uh, ever since I went to the dump last time. So if, if anybody can help me out here, I would, I would love to know, uh, any thoughts or any answers. The uh, email address as always is 40 acre fool at gmail.com. That's 40, 40- Four zero acrefool at gmail dot com. I will say there are a lot of different ways to, to to contact me. So if you are used to talking with me uh, from nranews.com, we have the ask cam button where you can just clip the ball cap and uh, click the ball cap and then uh, send me a question or comment. Feel free to use that too. Uh, you can also uh, tweet at me. It's at cam edwards on Twitter. You can uh, comment on the latest pictures of the bacon seeds at uh, the Instagram account. It's at Cam Edwards as well. So lots of different ways to uh, get in touch. And I appreciate uh, hearing from everybody 
whether I'm hearing about the latest from your farm or just the latest from your life, uh, I, I love hearing from people. Um, we're going to talk about uh, some of the uh, contacts and the emails that uh, I received a little bit later on in the program. As I mentioned as well, we'll talk about the farm distillery movement, which uh, may be taking off in New York State of all places. Uh, you know, I was up in New York in the Poughkeepsie area for the New York State Rifle and Pistol Association annual meeting not long ago and driving through some of the farmland. I, I Obviously, I didn't get to see a lot of New York State, but uh, driving through some of the farmland in Dutchess County uh, over by the uh, the Hudson, you could see uh, particularly a lot of uh, places that used to be old farms and the parcels had been busted up and now there are more houses on there. But there were still uh, uh, quite a few small farms that I saw in the area and uh i mean it's a beautiful location i you couldn't get me to move to new york it just isn't going to happen uh there are lots of beautiful places in virginia uh that i would actually encourage people to move to but i do love the idea of a farm distillery uh probably not for me i'll, I'll be honest with you just because of, again of the time involved uh i looked into getting my uh, i think it's a ttb license is uh, what it's called if i remember correctly uh, when we uh, first moved here, I, I, I had that thought of, wouldn't it be cool? Wouldn't it be cool to have my own distillery? And uh, yes, it would be. It would also be expensive, and it would be time-consuming, and it would be a full-time job. It wouldn't be something that I could just sort of do on the side in the uh, couple of hours that I have free every week. So that idea, like like many other wouldn't-it-be-cool ideas, was tucked away in a mental drawer somewhere. Well, we, we may come back to it at some point. But uh, in the meantime, I've actually enjoyed uh, exploring some of the local distilleries uh, in Virginia because we've, we do have a, a burgeoning and growing, uh, should we call it alco-tourism? Uh, it, we've got a lot of breweries. We've got a lot of, you know, uh, in fact, there's on 29, Highway 29, uh, west of Charlottesville, in uh, you get into like Nelson County, Virginia, and you start going southwest uh, from Nelson County, Virginia. There's a string of breweries and distilleries to explore, and I mean it's a beautiful part of the state. Uh, if you have a weekend and you're in the Virginia area, I would definitely recommend that road trip. I mean, from D.C., uh, it, it, get out of the D.C. area as quickly as you can. I would recommend uh, taking Route 66 down to. Uh, Haymarket, I believe, and then uh, you take 29 south to Charlottesville. Uh, take 29, keep going south, uh, and and you just you'll run into these uh, really good. I mean, that's the thing; they're really good uh, microbreweries as well. Devil's Backbone uh, is out there. Uh, Blue Mountain Brewery is another uh, really good one that I would recommend. Um, Silverback Distillery is up near. Charlottesville. Make sure you have a designated driver, obviously, because they do tastings and stuff like that. So you might have to go more than once so that, you know, one time you can drink and then the next time you can be the designated driver or the other way around. But uh, I would recommend uh, if you're, you know, in the Virginia area at all, a, a weekend uh, exploring the alco-tourism industry of the uh, distilleries and the microbreweries, getting to see the sites and explore the uh, the history of the state of Virginia. I'm telling you, the more I drive around this state, the more I get to explore it, uh, the longer I live here, the uh, more impressed I am, not only with uh, the, the the geography of Virginia, the, the, the physical uh, beauty of the state of Virginia, but the people. Uh, of Virginia as well. It is a 
truly wonderful place that uh, I think we can continue to make better. I'm not even down, totally down on uh, Northern Virginia. Northern Virginia has its its usefulness as well. But the real Virginia that begins once you get outside of the Beltway, once you get outside of the D.C. region, I'm telling you, I- I'm in love with that part of the state. All right, listen, we're going to take a, a quick time out. When we come back here on this edition of 40 Acres and a Fool, we'll talk more about those uh, farm distilleries. Maybe a little uh, minor league baseball. I did get a chance to uh, take in another minor league park in the state of Virginia, the Lynchburg Hillcats in uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. And I also got to hit up a Greasy Spoon Diner that's been serving up a kind of unique burger. I'd never had one made like this before since, uh, what, 1947 or so? Stick around. We've got much more 40 Acres and a Fool coming up from the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Sexton. The FBI tried to send Scooter Libby away for years for lying to federal investigators about something that was completely irrelevant. Not that the media has explained that to you. Scooter Libby didn't disclose a darn thing. They got him for lying under oath about something that didn't matter. But he was attached to Cheney, so they wanted to make an example out of him. They went after him. Hillary gets to get out of jail free card, known as being an important member of the Democratic Party. Buck Sexton. Weekdays, noon to 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. Thanks so much for tuning in to another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. I'm Cam Edwards. I should note, by the way, uh, that while we don't have a distillery uh, on the farm, I don't have a TTB license or anything like that. Uh, we have been known to make our own beer, uh, and as a matter of fact, our uh, uh, friends, the Fishers, also uh, make their own beer. Chris uh, has made several different kinds of beer, so I am really looking forward to like this fall and this winter, uh, maybe doing a beer exchange. And he'll try to make uh, a couple of varieties. We're going to try to make a couple of different varieties, and then we'll we'll share the fruits of our labor. So you don't need that uh that distillery license you don't need all of this stuff to uh to to have some fun and explore and build and create and make um but again it'd be really cool to have your own distillery too wouldn't it and for that you do uh need that uh, ttb license um twc news in new york uh had a story from uh the binghamton area Since 2011, they say the number of farm distilleries in the state of New York has climbed from about 10. Now, again, 2011, so this is four years. Ten distilleries, farm distilleries in the uh, state of New York in 2011. Now there are about 80 in the state of New York. Uh, So you've seen this phenomenal growth over the last four years. And what's been the cause of this? Are we really drinking that much more? Philip French is the uh, co-owner of French Distillers and Alchemists. And he says when they came out with the farm distiller's license, it really broke down a lot of the barriers. It made it more cost-effective for us as a small person to get into distilling. Could it be that New York actually did something right for small businesses? I would be shocked if that were the case, but uh, it's really interesting. The, um, uh, The news story also talked with Brian McKenzie. He's the president and owner of Finger Lakes Distilling. 
And he said that uh, eliminating this brand label registration fee on small batches in 2013 also made a difference. So in order to get this farm distiller's license, you have to use, in New York State, you have to use 75% of New York State-grown ingredients. So you use the grains made in the state, you get a a discount, a pretty steep discount uh, on your uh, distiller's license there. Uh, you still have to go through, again, the federal process, but but the uh, the state process, it seems, is getting a lot easier. Uh, Finger Lakes Distilling, they produce whiskey, vodka, brandy, grappa, and liqueurs. Uh, French Distillers and Alchemists, they're actually just getting started. Uh, they're in Broome County, New York. They're going to start off making bourbon and rye whiskey. Uh, which is pretty interesting. Now, Finger Lakes has been open since 2008. French Distillers just got their license this year. They've uh, uh, already been working out kinks with local farmers, according to TWC News. Uh, Philip French said, when we have spent grains, we'll be delivering those to farmers that they can use for grain for their cattle and pigs as well. So it's kind of like recycling and giving back. So it's a boom, not only for us, but for the local farmer. I think it's, again, I think it's really, really cool. Now, I'm not sure what makes this a... A farm distillery, because it doesn't sound like these are distilleries that are located on farms. Um, Maybe they are a farm distillery because they are using grains from uh, small farms in the area. But uh, it sounds like a really intriguing idea. I I, I wish these uh, uh, new distilleries the best. I'm I'm a little curious because I know that, you know, one of the things when you when you start off making bourbon and rye, you've you're supposed to age that. Right, so you're sitting on your product. I mean, if you're if you're going to do it, and I won't say if you're going to do it the way uh, everybody does it, because fewer and fewer people actually do this, it seems. But uh, you're you got to sit on that product, and that's that's your money just sort of sitting there and aging in these barrels. So what a lot of distilleries are doing, apparently, uh, I shouldn't say a lot. What some distilleries are doing, especially when they're just starting out, they're actually buying. Uh, uh, alcohol from uh, a bigger uh, uh, a distillery or a bigger uh, conglomerate, and then they are selling that as theirs. Uh, or they are not aging uh, the whiskey as long as it should, and they're adding some coloring uh, to darken it. The, uh, the, the whiskey's you know going to sit for six weeks uh, or, or maybe uh, two or three months, but it's not going to sit very long. It's certainly not going to be aged, you know, six years. They'll keep some back, obviously, so that five years, six years, 10 years from now, they will be able to sell that, uh, as fine aged whiskey. But to sort of jumpstart, uh, the distillery business when you don't have aged product on hand and you want to get your product out the door so you can start making a return on your investment, uh, there are some shortcuts that uh, some distilleries will take. So I'm, I'm curious to see uh, how this goes, uh, particularly again with the, with the let's say, the, uh, the, no, the, the non-clear spirits. Clear spirits, it's easy, right? I mean, you don't have to age. When was the last time you bought aged vodka, right? I mean, that doesn't really happen. Or aged moonshine. Yeah, no, 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 no market for aged moonshine. Although, tell the hipsters uh, maybe that uh, your, your moonshine has been aged five years and, Plastic vats, and uh, see if that gets you anywhere. Or a uh, we just left it in the still, in the copper still for five years. Let it steep in that copper, and maybe you can get double the price for uh, your bottle of shine. But you know the the thing, the great thing about uh, the moonshine, 
is that you can turn it around and sell it very quickly. So the uh, the, the clear liquor is uh, is a lot easier to get to the market uh, right off the bat. So it's, I'm just I'm just kind of interested in the fact that the French distillers and alchemists are going to start off by making these items that you can't immediately uh, bring to market. I would have I would have started with a, a New York vodka as well, although. Maybe a New York State moonshine would be a, a better option for them. But anyway, if you're in the New York area, apparently you now have 80 different farm distilleries to check out. Uh, See, so it does not just Virginia. You know, there are a lot of states that are getting into the the alco tourism, uh, and there are a lot of people who are starting their small business uh, in this industry. And I'm sure that makes the nannies very, very sad. You know, it's interesting in doing some uh, research on the liquor laws and the distillery laws. Uh, I, I found out that one of the reasons why we've started to see this growth in uh, craft distilleries or small batch distilleries or farm distilleries or whatever label you want to apply to it, but these smaller uh, independent owned distilleries is a change in regulations at the federal level that actually happened in 1980. Uh, until that time, a distillery had to have on site uh, a, a federal agent to to oversee the operations uh, every day. And each distiller actually had to provide an office and a restroom for the federal agent uh, who was there at the distillery every day. You just had to make that part of your footprint. Um in 1980, that, that went away. What happened in 1980? I wonder what happened in 1980. Was that uh, hmm, right around the time of the Reagan Revolution? Now, Reagan, obviously, you know, was not the president when that uh, regulation changed. But uh, uh, that change allowed for, uh, again, just a uh, uh, an easier build-out uh, for these distilleries. There was You were one step removed from the bureaucracy. You didn't have that direct oversight. Now, interestingly enough, uh, that same provision still goes for uh, slaughterhouses, for uh, commercial uh, processing uh, facilities, which is why you don't have a great number of commercial processing facilities. See, you know, I could take my bacon seeds down to the the best processor in the five-county area uh, that I know, and he could go ahead and, and process the hogs for us, but I couldn't sell that meat. Because he's not a commercial processor. He's busy. It's his full-time job. And when deer season comes around, uh, that's all that he does for, you know, four months is he's processing deer. Uh, so there's a period of time where we can't actually get our hogs done because he's so busy. This is his full-time job. But it is not a commercial facility. So what he does cannot be sold to the public. It's beautiful bacon. Some amazing hams. Um, I know exactly where he lives. I can inspect the facility myself because I can drop off my hogs there. Uh, I could even take part if, if I uh, wanted to. But none of that matters because it's not a commercial facility. The nearest commercial facility, uh, if we wanted to actually sell our product, is about two hours away uh, over the Blue Ridge Mountains into the Shenandoah Valley in a town called Harrisonburg, which is a, a beautiful one of the many beautiful small valley towns uh, in the state of Virginia. That That's where we would have to go if we wanted to actually sell our bacon. Uh, if we raised cows, we wanted to sell our cows. Uh, if we wanted to sell our goat meat, uh, then uh, in our gyro meat, we would have to take the, the goats and have them processed there in Harrisonburg. There's 
there's one exception, and as far as I know, it is the exception in the state of Virginia, and that is chickens. You can actually process, I believe, up to 2,000 chickens a year for sale on your property. Uh, and so you don't need – don't ask me why there's a chicken exemption and there's not a goat exemption or a, a hog exemption or just caveat emptor, uh, let the buyer beware. Let's have some labeling laws that, hey, this was not uh, processed at a, a USDA-inspected facility, uh, but here's the location, here's the contact. I mean, whatever labeling you want to uh, provide for the uh, the, the safety uh, and the, uh, the, the peace of mind of the consumer, I still can't figure out why we have a chicken exemption. Because, you know, chickens, uh, they're, they're, it's not like they're germ-free, right? It's not like, and we probably eat more chicken than we do goat in this country. We probably eat more, well, I don't know, do we eat more chicken than bacon? Do we eat more chicken than pig? It's up there. But you got the chicken exemption, not the, uh, the pig exemption. So I suppose that means that uh, if we ever started raising broilers, uh, which actually we are planning on doing here this fall, uh, that we could actually sell our our chickens if we ever do that i'm totally gonna use the 40 acres and a fowl f-o-w-l label all right we got to take a time i know horrible joke we've got to take a time out when we come back there's more 40 acres and a fool from the blaze radio network stick around we will be back right after this 40 acres and a fool with cam edwards on the blaze radio network Do. Why don't they try to hug the incoming? That's bullets? what they want. That's what we're supposed to do. When Let's it hug comes, it out. When it gets to about here, start hugging, and then you yeah. hug the bullet as it enters your body. Okay. That's just one way to handle it. I'm going to throw that one or out. Or you dodge the bullets and get to the suspect and give the suspect a big hug. And just tell him you love him. Just tell him you love him. Oh, that's rape. I love you. That's rape. Pat and Stu, weekdays at 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Forty Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards returns now on the Blaze Radio Network. So it's hard to believe, perhaps if you're living in the uh, South particularly, it's hard to believe that, that fall is just around the corner. I mean, it's like 95 degrees, it's sweltering hot, but... You know that fall is almost here. A, my kids are back in school. B, it's fair season. Yeah, I am so excited about fair season. Uh, the West Virginia State Fair kicks off August 14th. It runs through the uh, 23rd, I believe, in uh, Lewisburg, West Virginia. You might be asking, why are you talking about West Virginia? You live in Virginia. It's true. Uh, Lewisburg's actually only, it's less than three uh, hours. I was going to say less than three miles. Less than three hours from Farmville, Virginia. And I got an invite out to the uh, State Fair of West Virginia on the opening weekend. Uh, my friend Gary, you might remember Gary, the uh, the llama guy down in uh, North Carolina, who was so kind and generous of his time and his llamas uh, and went to the Duskin and Stevens Beef and Beer Benefit with Mushu, the llama. And uh, he actually brought Mushu up to Farmville. Gary's a great guy. And uh, Gary and his llamas are going to be at the State Fair of West Virginia in Lewisburg, uh, which, uh, again, kicks off August 14th. And so he invited me down 
Come see the llamas. Come say hi. And unfortunately, I'm not going to be able to go the first weekend. I don't know if Gary's going to be there uh, the entire run of the State Fair of West Virginia. Gary, if you are there towards the end, I might be able to to sneak over there on a, a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. I, uh, I I love state fairs, and it helps because I grew up in Oklahoma, and the Great State Fair of Oklahoma is a great state fair. I mean, it's I I, I just I would go every year. I would go if you were lucky, you'd get to go twice as a kid over the three week run of the fair. Uh, as I became a grown up, and I became a husband and a father. Uh, we would always take the kids to the state fair at least once, and we would try to go twice. Usually, there was there was one night that we would go and get the little you know ride bracelets and would uh, would would go ride rides, and then we would go one time and we wouldn't ride rides, although we'd always end up riding like a couple of rides letting the kids. But we would go and we would look at stuff. So everything, and I like to look at stuff. I like to, I'm, you get, get, man, get me in a fair, and I will wander the aisles, and I will look at the pest control displays, and I will look at the solar panels, and I will look at the, the solar tubes. Remember those, like the little skylights and the wood-fired stove? And I would just look at all of this stuff. And then we'd have to go to the building, and we'd look at the stuff that I didn't really want to look at, like the... uh the quilts and the best pie and uh, all of the the you know, the the, uh, the contests where you could win the blue ribbons. Uh, would go look at the boats. Would go look at the saunas. Would go look uh, at the international building. I mean, it was a great time. I would look at the people most of all, right? Because I think there is probably no better place on earth to people watch than at a state fair. That's worth the price of admission alone, really. And I'm guessing that's true for every state of the country. <laughs> and then there's the food on top of that. So it is fair time in the uh, State Fair of West Virginia coming up August 14th through the 23rd. Um, when we moved to Virginia, the uh, the Virginia State Fair is in a place called the Doswell. It's near uh, Kings Dominion off of 95. I've yet to go to the State Fair in Virginia because from northern Virginia, it's probably a good two hours with traffic uh, just to get out of D.C. And we always... I don't know. We always had something better to do. We never felt like breaking out of the Beltway bubble uh, and going to the State Fair and then driving two hours back. It's still about two, two and a half hours from us, but we don't have to navigate through the uh, the Beltway bubble. So we are planning on going to the uh, State Fair of Virginia for the first time, but it's not until late September. And what we did have when we moved to Virginia is we had county fairs. Uh, and I never went to a county fair until I moved to Virginia. So the first county fair that I went to was the Prince William County Fair Prince William's a county uh, to the southwest of Washington, D.C. It's a suburban, probably now I think considered, 20 years ago it would have been an exurb. Now it's a suburb of D.C. Uh, but there are still some rural areas. It's where Manassas is located. It's where uh, uh, Woodbridge is uh, located. But the further south in the county you go, the more agricultural it gets. And it's a small little county fair. I mean, there are not a lot of rides. There are, are a few buildings to take a look at. Uh, we could do it all in an afternoon. They did have some event, though, that I had uh, never gotten to actually see this event at the uh, State Fair of Virginia, Demolition Derby. Oh, my gosh. How did I grow up missing Demolition Derby? I mean, I knew what it was because you had seen references, but I had never actually seen a Demolition Derby in person. 
it is on my bucket list. One of these years, I will I will just buy a junker car. I will go down. I see the thing is like it's on my bucket list, and then I forget, and then all of a sudden I see, hey, demolition derby tonight, and I oh, I wanted to do that. So I need to actually really want to do this. I need to officially put it in bucket list uh, on my bucket list in pen, I suppose, instead of pencil. But uh, uh, there is demolition derby at uh, several of the county fairs in Virginia. So in fact, there's one. Uh, we were just looking the other day. Uh, it might be in Harrisonburg, actually. The uh, the Rockingham County Fair, I know, has a uh, a demolition derby night, which is coming up here in about a week and a half or so. In Farmville, we have the Five County Fair. I was really excited when we moved, and I found out that there's a Five County Fair because I thought, all right, well, cool. Great State Fair of Oklahoma was enormous, right? I mean, that's huge. The County Fair for Prince William County was kind of small. But if you have five counties that are getting together to have a county fair. Well, that's got to be like five times as big as Prince William County. It's still not going to be the great state fair of Oklahoma, but it's, it's going to be a big fair. It's going to be awesome. Uh, and it was good, and it is good. It's small. It's not, yeah, it's, uh, I think, probably even smaller than the Prince William County Fair. So it's good for a day. You're not going to need multiple trips to the five-county fair, unfortunately. Um, but it's, it's, it's good for an evening uh, out with the family. And that's coming up, I think, in about a month as well. Uh, best part about the Five County Fair for me, again, the exhibits, the local uh, 4-H and uh, Future Farmers of America exhibits, the livestock that are being raised, and the kids are there, and they've, they're just taking care of their uh, their sheep and their cattle and their bunny rabbits. I mean, they have all kinds of uh, farm animals uh, there at the uh, Five County Fair. It is a true agricultural expo. There's some great flipping barbecue uh there at the five county fair as well and a uh, a scary but i'm sure totally secure ferris wheel uh and a a number of other rides that uh, that you can ride i think they're even uh, getting some entertainment uh this year uh, for uh, a couple of the evenings of the five county fair i will say i'm hoping for some better fried food options we did have fried oreos last year but you know we all watch the food network now we watch the the uh, the state fair shows carnival eats now there's another show too there are two there are actually two shows on food networks devoted specifically to carnival and fair food which i'm totally on board with uh, i got to say uh but you know i'm watching from like the texas state fair and they're doing fried beer i think it was uh and then you know every state fair has this uh, different magnificent concoctions deep fried macaroni and cheese balls I want more than the Oreos. So I'm, I'm hoping that the vendors of the five County fair have been watching their competition from around the country on the food network, on these shows, and that they're up in their game a little bit as they're heading into fair season. Uh, so we'll be talking more about the, the County fairs. I'd love to hear your uh, fair thoughts because I know that some people are not as strange as it is for me to try to understand this. Some people are not fans of the fair. So what do you think? Are you a fair fan or are you a fair foe you can uh, email me 40 acre at gmail.com you can uh, also uh, uh, give us an answer on twitter use the uh, hashtag 40 acre fool as you're talking about uh, being a fair friend or a fair foe and i'd love to know your favorite fair food holy moly that's a lot of f's uh, what is it? Is it the fried alligator on a stick? Is it the three-foot-long coney dog? Is it the ginormous elephant ear drizzled in chocolate sauce and covered in powdered sugar? Oh, 
Mmm, powdered sugar. Speaking of powdered sugar, you know, I, I said uh, during the last segment, we talked briefly about uh, uh, another trip that I had made to a minor league baseball game. So I went to Salem, Virginia a couple of weeks ago, saw the Salem Red Sox play the Potomac Nationals. Uh, the other night, after NRA News Cam and Company had wrapped up, I uh, just got a wild hair and thought, you know, I wonder if the Lynchburg Hillcats are in town. And uh, sure enough, they were. And they were also playing the Potomac Nationals. <laughs> so... I've seen more Potomac Nationals games, actually, than I have uh, uh, any other game this year, any other team. So I, I, I drove from Farmville to Lynchburg, which is about an hour from uh, studio to stadium. Never been to the Lynchburg Stadium before. It's it's uh, it's a nice stadium, actually. I, I, I think it was uh, just as nice as Salem's. The crowd was a little smaller, but it was a weeknight. So I uh, kind of expected that. They actually had uh, – so they have some uh, – luxury boxes there at the i think it's city stadium uh in lynchburg oh no it's calvin falwell field that's what it is um and they uh, they had the uh box seats the luxury box seats available for twenty dollars a a person to get into the seat right which i thought was kind of cool that if they had an open box or just kind of open it up and that would be the most expensive seat in the house um the regular tickets i think were five bucks it was 80s-themed tonight, so if you were in 80s apparel, you, uh, you you got in for five bucks. Now, I thought about dressing up like Don Johnson or uh, uh, maybe Huey Lewis of Huey Lewis in the News, but I decided instead just to throw on my Ghostbusters T-shirt, and that worked. Uh, so I, I, I got off on a tangent. I got to think about uh, minor league baseball because I had maybe the best funnel cake that I've ever had right there at the – Lynchburg Hillcats baseball game. Now, there was nothing fancy about it at all. It was fried dough, powdered sugar. That's it. There was no strawberry sauce. There was no chocolate sauce sprinkled on top. There was no uh, caramel sauce drizzled lovingly over the fried dough. Nope, it was just fried dough, and it was a mountain of powdered sugar. But the dough was fried to perfection. It was crispy. It wasn't greasy. Uh, it was delicious. The game was pretty good, too. I have to say, the uh, Hillcats, they have a, a hitter or two. The stadium, as I said, itself, uh, really nice stadium. Uh, really good sight lines. Uh, I mean, it's a minor league park, right? Uh, the netting, to me, to my mind, in my eye, the, the netting didn't really extend all that far out beyond, like, the home plate area. Uh, and it was actually cheaper, I think, to sit uh, where there was no netting. <laughs> so I was, I was mildly concerned about, uh, foul balls more so than I, I normally am in a minor league park, but, uh, uh, I had nothing to worry about. There's bouncy houses for the kids. There was a, uh, a beer stand with great getting back to alcohol again, getting back to the, uh, the, the Virginia breweries. There is a beer stand, uh, there in Lynchburg with nothing but Virginia brewed beers. So at a single-A ballpark, you can get your Virginia craft beers there in Lynchburg, Virginia. And really, there is, uh, I'm sure there's a better way of spending a beautiful August evening, but it's definitely in the top five to uh, sit back, enjoy a baseball game, and a uh, locally crafted beer underneath a, uh, a setting sun with the Blue Ridge Mountains in the backdrop. Yeah. That's a pretty good way to spend an August night. All right, we have to take another time out, but we will be back with uh, more 40 Acres and a Fool from the Blaze Radio Network. So stick around. We'll be back right after this. You're listening to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network.
Jay Severin. I mean, that's what explains Donald Trump, what explains the fact that you've got a primary voting group of conservatives who list being conservative as the third most important thing to them shows you how much anger and frustration there is because they list above it being authentic. You know, say what you mean, mean what you say. And that shows you what their nature of their anger. Jay Severin. Weekdays, 2 to 5 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. Welcome back to 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. I heard from uh, someone on Twitter a few days ago uh, whose family had just inherited a a 20-acre farm uh, with a a house built in the 1930s, and and he's thinking about actually trying to to do something with the land. I uh, I gave him all kinds of encouragement. um, And, and, you know, one thing that I didn't say that I I would say now uh, is just, man, do as much research as you can. Think of and, and explore. See what other people are doing around the country uh, to uh, to make the most out of that 20 acres. I mean, look, 20 acres is enough for pretty good-sized vegetable garden, right? It's enough space to, to raise some broilers. Uh, and depending on the rules and the laws in your state, you might be able to uh, go ahead and process those chickens there and sell them on farm without uh, having to go through a commercial processor. An apiary, you know, heck, maybe even, uh, you know, aqua farming uh, if you uh, have the opportunity to do something like that there's a lot that can be done uh in not a lot of space you just have to always be looking uh at 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 ways to make that land work for you and to make that space work for you and part of doing that again is just seeing what other people are doing around the country uh i was watching or looking at uh, uh this story from q13 uh the uh, fox affiliate uh, q13 in seattle uh, they they write organic, local, sustainable aren't new buzzwords, but they still carry some stigma, whether it is cost or accessibility. According to the Organic Trade Association, families think organic is important. Eight in ten households with children buy organic food. And because of a growing trend, they say, in the Pacific Northwest, now local organic food is becoming even more accessible and affordable in western Washington. Uh, Augie Batista is a 29-year-old farmer. He uh, ditched his high-paying corporate job a year ago, according to Q13, and started farming on less than an acre in Carnation, Washington. Less than an acre. Traded in a suit and tie for a pair of work boots to create Jumanji Farm for himself and for local families. Uh, Now, an incubator program in uh, uh, Washington State called the Experience Farming Project uh, gave Augie Batista his start. It's managed by Snow Valley Tilth, uh, and it allows seven small-scale farmers to lease property and to start small farming businesses. Batista says it's really just gardening on a a larger scale. Uh, We eat well, really, really well. You can't get much more nutritious and flavorful than stuff you grow yourself. Uh, You know, if you're doing this on less than an acre, it really is gardening on a larger scale. That's probably, we've got probably a little bit more than an acre uh, that's devoted to uh, our garden area, and uh, and it is a garden. I mean, I, I consider that to be a garden. But uh, if you're selling in a farmer's market, uh, you can call yourself a, a small farmer. Uh, he delivers his produce uh, through the Fremont and Madrona farmers markets, also through a, a weekly CSA, which is a you know subscription service. 
Q13 says, on such a small scale, customers may worry that the cost would be much higher than buying at their grocery store, but families who frequent farmers say otherwise. I think it depends. I, I really do. I, I, I think certainly as well, you know, look at the look at the different farmers markets. If you can if you live in a big area and you can go and kind of compare costs, uh, uh and if you can get away even from the bigger cities and go to some of these smaller towns, uh in their farmers markets, you may find uh even better deals. I would also say as well that if you are a consumer, and this is for the consumer Go to the farms directly. Uh, look for the farms in your area. You know, if I know that there are a lot of farms outside of Richmond, for instance, that are selling their own eggs, which is something else that you can sell. You don't have to get those processed. You can sell your own eggs. They're selling their own veggies. This time of year, you're starting to see the peaches, uh, some of the apples for sale on these local farms. It's a great way. When you, and when you find a place that's not too far away from you, it's someplace that you can go and stock up. You know, you can't, it's not like running to the 7-Eleven or the, to the grocery store, but you can go once a month, load up on what they have to offer, and then uh, and then head back home. Now, this uh, a story from Q13 uh, quotes the Leopold Center for Sustainable Agriculture. Uh, they say uh, that local food does have some uh, baked in, or does escape, rather, some uh, baked in costs like transportation or high-tech harvesting. Uh, that is That is true. But keep in mind that there's also the economy of scale that you're dealing with. And, you know, big producers can produce food. I think, uh, generally speaking, um, at a price level that is going to be less than that of a, a, a small farmer. But we also have a bit of a food fetish uh, about organic food and local food, right? I saw a, uh, I, I hope, I hope that this was fake, but on the chive, uh, this week I saw in one of their uh, daily uh, afternoon randomness a, a picture from Whole Foods, and it was just a picture of a product on the shelf at Whole Foods, and it was asparagus water. And it was water that had several stalks of asparagus in it, and you were supposed to drink the water, and I suppose you could eat the asparagus. But they were selling this, I think it was 6 bucks, <laughs> And it was really, it was 3 Stalks of asparagus in some water, and you just label it asparagus water. It must be good for you, right? So you don't need asparagus water. And if you if you want asparagus water, you maybe grow your own asparagus. I mean, it's going to take you some time. It'll be cheaper than putting three stalks of asparagus in a uh, cup of water and then selling it for six bucks. You know, this is the other thing that uh, got me thinking about this this uh, story at Q13 uh, in uh, Washington State, where you've got this incubator program that, uh, that that's helping these farmers uh, or helping people become small farmers. You know, again, this is an acre, right? Actually, Augie Batista is growing on, uh, on less than an acre of land. So you can do this in, in, in your backyard. Uh, you can grow on your apartment balcony. You can grow in your kitchen if you want to get a, a hydroponic setup. Um, a lot of this, a lot of about making this affordable is really doing it yourself and, you know, grow a couple of tomato plants. You don't have to start huge. You don't have to go overboard. Uh, don't do any, you know, don't, don't start with anything that's going to intimidate you to the point that you give up and say, oh, I'm not going to do this anymore. Have a tomato plant or two. Go through the, uh, the, the Southern Exposure Seed Exchange catalog or the, uh, 
your your whatever your favorite uh, seed catalog is, go look up seed catalogs. Go find something that interests you that you wonder what does that taste like, and you know that you'll never find it uh, at your local farmer's market. It's okay to uh, that's the fun part. Again, you know, I talked about the jelly melon, the jelly melon. I can't even say it, the jelly melon kiwanos that we grew last year. I won't ever grow them again. They uh, didn't taste all that appetizing to me, but it was neat to grow something like that. It was neat to try something for the first time, uh, to see these, this this weird foreign alien spiky melon uh, growing in your garden, and then all of a sudden it's changing colors, and it's, wow, what's it doing? So it's, it's, it's fun. That's the fun part of gardening, and it should, you know, at the end of the day, Tastes good and maybe save you some money too, right? Well, we wish Augie the best of luck and uh, I wish you the best of luck. I hope your garden grows well. We will be back with another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool here before long. Uh, in the meantime, as always, you can uh, email me, 40acrefool at gmail.com. You can uh, click the cap at nranews.com and you can tune into NRA News Cam and Company. Each and every weekday live online at nranews.com, 2 p.m. Eastern. Also, midnight Eastern, 9 Pacific on Sirius XM Patriot 125 on demand all the time on the iHeartRadio app and through the NRA app as well. All right, until we talk again, be safe, have fun, live a little, learn a lot, and we'll see you here soon on another edition of 40 Acres and a Fool. This is 40 Acres and a Fool with Cam Edwards on the Blaze Radio Network. 